Hi, I'm David Catterford, CEO of Champion Iron. Uh, we operate Iron Ore Mine in the north of Quebec, and we produce currently about 8 million tons of the purest material in the world. One of the big advantages of Champion Iron Ore is that we produce one of the lowest CO2 intensity iron ores in the world. We're currently on a path to double our production, which is expected in just a few months. And we've also got a significant amount of resources to continue expanding in the future to allow steel players in the world to continue on their path to decarbonize their business. Uh, David, good to see you again. I haven't seen you for a year. I'm really uh, excited to hear what you've been up to in the last year. Now, Iron Ore, in a transition period, for sure, it's been a kind of funny year for your investors as well. You kind of, you've ended the year pretty much where you started in terms of share price, but you've been on a little journey uh, along the way. What, what's been happening in the uh, Iron Ore space this year that we need to be aware of? Well, I think there's been a, a lot of shift in terms of the uh, medium to longer term demand. I think slowly people are understanding that you need to buy higher grade iron ore if you want to decarbonize the steel industry. And uh, we've seen uh, a lot of countries be uh, set very aggressive targets in the coming uh, years to achieve steel decarbonization. But today, the only path to be able to do that is high grade iron ore. So that's why we've seen that premium for our material be very healthy through the whole year. But what else is going to drive that? Because obviously not everyone's got you know, high-grade iron ore. Uh, so that's not going to be the only solution available to them. Um, so what are the other topics being discussed out there at the moment? Well, there's a lot of trials in the world. There's a lot of a uh, million dollar here, a million dollar there for different technologies to be able to help decarbonization. But when you take a step back, every one of those solutions requires a significant amount of power. And if you want to reduce your costs in the future, even if there's a new technology that comes along, you'll still need higher grade iron ore if you want to maintain your costs in the appropriate level. Okay, and, and I've got to ask, what are the drivers behind this? Because we had COP26 uh, recently, that this, this was a big part of the narrative was decarbonization, you know, net zero, et cetera. Um, you know, what were the conversations that are happening out of there or even out of Europe or the US in terms of these infrastructure programs which are driving these initiatives? There's a lot of talks with different uh, steel consumers. So if you look at uh, automakers, well, they, there's 11 automakers that signed a pact that they want to have net zero fabrication of cars uh, early 2030s. So to do that, 37% of the CO2 emissions in the steel uh, in the car making um, process is associated to steel. So you see that it's not just the actual steel manufacturers that have those targets but even the people that are using that steel that are going to come with the same solution. And so how are they incentivizing or penalizing people um, who don't work towards that? And, and why does that work to your advantage? Well, I think we're still early stages for uh, penalties or significant premiums associated to that. 2030, even if it's, it's tomorrow, uh, there's, there's still quite a lot of time be before people really start uh, having to nail down those targets. But even another example being Japan, we talk a lot about Europe and the US, but Japan has 15% of its uh, CO2 emissions of the country associated to steel manufacturing. And they have to reduce by over 30% by 2030. So today, the only known, known way to do that is by getting higher grade iron ore. Right. I but there, there are going to be other solutions and other technologies coming through because I, mean, I noticed, um, you know, in your newsletter, you, you talk about, well, I think the, the phrase that met coal obviously, um, is potentially seen as, as a problem or certainly being labeled as one. Um, new technologies like electric art furnaces being part of the solution, DRI being part of the solution. So again, how do, how do you kind of fit into that 
ecosystem today and you know and what more you know needs to be done for you to take advantage of again some of those initiatives so one of the things that we did a few years back was to um, sort of pick up a lot of resources around our main operations today we hold resources that are about 10 times as much as what we have at bloom lake and bloom lake on its own has a 20-year mine life for 16 million tons per year so we've got enough resources to be able to um, to help the steel manufacturers be able to transition. But you, you talk about DRI, you talk about electric arc furnaces. Uh, the key element for uh, electric arc furnaces is they require either scrap or uh, DRI material. Uh, but scrap, there's so much that's available unless we start unbuilding everything that we have. But at some point, there's so much scrap that can be used. And when you try to use more scrap, well, then you get to lower quality scraps. So to compensate for that, you need higher grade DRI material to be able to, um, to compensate that. And today, there's no uh, easy ways to make DRI with low grade material. Will there be in the future? I'm sure there's a lot of people working on it, but today there's no, uh, no solution to do that. Okay, it, just coming on to share price, because like, I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by, you, like I say, you, you, you finished the year where you started with you know, around five bucks, but, you know, in the, in the middle of the year, you know, well, actually from sort of April through to August, you had, you had a kind of good run of it. What, what, what was driving that? What, what was what was it tracking against? Well, the, we, we saw a pretty big uptick in the iron ore price uh, during the summer. Uh, there was a lot of um, a lot of hype associated to the, the sort of strengthening uh, iron ore price. But yes, it's gone down today. But it's still we're still about forty dollars U.S. over what we had forecasted in our feasibility study when we sanctioned phase two project. So today, the the steel environment, uh, the margins are very good, and the iron ore uh, has a significant price in the market today. If you just go back a few years, people were saying iron ore is going down to forty U.S. dollars per ton. We've obviously never seen that, but I think there was a bit of emotion associated to that. And even today, when you look at most analysts, they're all forecasting iron ore to uh, go down. But when we speak to the steel manufacturers or we, steal to the, we speak to the iron ore producers, well, we're talking about production being curtailed under 100 US dollars per ton. So the chances of that materializing, uh, at least at Champion, we feel is pretty slim. So, so if it's tracking to price, then does that suggest you know the market sees you as fully valued or needs something serious to happen, like you know obviously the you know, energy problems in China continuing, or do we have to wait until phase two actually starts to actually you know comes good and whenever that is, so April May next year? Well, I think there was a bit of an uncertainty, uh, especially associated to China. So we saw China impose pretty significant production cuts to most steel manufacturers. So that brought the demand down uh, for a slight uh, portion of time. Now we're seeing this already start to recover. And what we saw as well is the production of steel ex-China increased significantly as well. So I think there was a lot of emotion associated to the fact that China reduced uh, steel production, but realistically, the demand for steel has not gone down. So that's why you see the steel margins very uh, significant and why we're seeing the iron ore price um, come back up. Right, so, so China's, is China, well actually, given the product that you've got, 
And, you know, given the conversations coming out of the US and Europe about, you know, we were talking about the, the car, carbon trading or carbon neutral or zero, zero emissions and targets, et cetera. Are, is China important to you or can you operate successfully with, you know, prop, you know, efficient margins outside of, outside of whatever China does or are you affected by that? Yeah, we're one of the companies that is the least affected by China in the sense that about 45% of our tons are sold into China. We want to reduce that going forward with our expansion. We're seeing much more demand come from Europe. We're seeing demand from the US, the Middle East. They're all markets that are closer to champion as well. So that reduces our freight costs when we're able to sell to those markets. So China is obviously important because they produce the majority of steel in the world. But uh, we can do very well by selling to different markets around the world. Right. And, and just again, in terms of obviously, you, you mentioned freight costs there. Obviously, we, we've talked about uh, supply chain issues this year. Everyone's been, you know, quoting that as problematic and um, in, in increasing costs that driving inflation and whether it's transitory or permanent. Who, who knows? Everyone's got a, their own view on this. I mean, given electric. Arc is a potential technology which um, is going to be used again. How do you how do you see the market affecting your margins going forward in this environment that the type of environment that we're, that we're seeing at the moment? And if it does move, continue to uh, remain the same, does that affect you positively, negatively? Can you take advantage of it? Yeah, there's there's a significant potential uh, upside for Champion material because. When you look at electric arc furnaces, uh, they use either scrap or DRI material. Today, DRI trades uh, to a premium to iron ore. But there's a lot of discussion that because DRI has become more and more rare when you look at the potential demand that's going to grow, it could start trading similar to scrap prices because the materials are interchangeable in the electric arc furnace. And if that happens, while iron ore today is at a trading at about 100, 110 US dollars per ton, scrap is over 350 US dollars per ton. So you can see that there's a big potential uplift in the premiums that we get for our material if that transition happens. And where, do, where does the electric arc, you know, it's a potential technology. So I did bang on about it, but I'm sort of intrigued because of this, there's a whole other discussion around, you know, Matt Cole's role in, in, in uh, iron ore as well. But um, is, are we going to see North America investing in electric arc or does the US's production of coal prohibit them from actually going down that route? In which case, you know, are you going to have to look to, you know, Europe or is Europe going to be looking to you uh, to kind of, you know, feed uh, or help them with, with that uh, new initiative? Yeah, so electric arc furnaces today represent probably around 60% of the steel manufacturing in the US and in Europe. So it's a technology that's really well known that's been used for a while. It was invented at the time to be able to reuse scrap at a cheaper, um, cheaper price and to produce sort of lower quality steels. But it's evolved as a technology and it now can produce high end steels as well by having high purity scrap and high uh, purity DRI come into the market. So what we're going to see is uh, some electric arc furnaces replace uh, the typical blast furnaces in North America and in Europe. But what we're also seeing is China starting to build more and more of these electric arc furnaces as well. Interesting. Okay. And with, with okay, we, we, everyone's like fixated on, on phase two. And I'm sure you're sick of talking about it, but you know, because you started, you started, you, you deployed a lot of capital already. You got a lot, you got some more to deploy. And, and the, the timing for, um, this is when, when are we looking for phase two kicking off? 
And so phase two, when you take a, a little step back, and no, I'm not sick of talking about it. Uh, it's one of the best uh, best value creation for our shareholders and, and uh, management and directors being over 10% shareholders, something we have, uh, we have very high uh, in our heart. But realistically, phase two is a $1.6 billion project, uh, and we're just finalizing it now. Uh, initially, it was supposed to be delivered in July of next year, July 2022. But we've recently announced that uh, the teams did something uh, incredible during the pandemic. They managed to hit every one of the uh, of our milestones ahead of schedule. So we should be able to deliver the project in April of uh, 2022. April 2022. Okay, fine. And uh, cash wise, you find you got you got what is 183 million of cash, and um, you got what have you got? 200. 200 million or so to deploy, uh, yet to deploy on that project. So you're good for cash, plus you've got a credit facility of whatever it is, 470 million. So money-wise, there's no, there's no barriers to you actually delivering to that by the, by the sounds of it, right? No, it's, it's going to no, happen. Uh, right. Correct. And, and on all of the riskier elements associated to phase two are behind us now. So now we need to finish uh, the piping, the electrical work. We need also to uh, start commissioning the parts. So it's a more straightforward path to um, to commissioning, and uh, it's pretty incredible when you take a, a look at Champion because we've been operating for three years. We're going to have over 4.5 billion dollars of infrastructure sunk in the ground, and we'll be in a net cash positive situation once Phase Two is up and running. So we'll be producing over 15 million tons of the highest grade iron ore in the world. Right, which, which, which is great. And, and, and like I say, you know, you, you talk a lot about, a lot about that and you're, you're well down the track to delivering that. And that's fantastic. The, the bit I'm interested in is, cause you've been so focused on the, on that kind of the OPEX component there is the, the, the market. Obviously it's, you've talked about what it's been doing this year and what you think potentially, you know, the, the road looks like ahead, but, have you looked at how do you further optimize your margins? Because you've got high grade stuff. There's lots of low grade producers. There's some blending potential in there. Do you get to charge a premium for that? Is that, do you buy? Do you sell? I mean, how do you operate in, in the market? Um, given the product that you've got? Yeah, we, we always try to be one, one step ahead of the curve. So, uh, what we see is that DRI market grow more and more. And to be able to tap into that market and get the full margin, we actually need to increase our uh, concentrate from our current 66% iron and bring it up to 69%. So what we've done is we've demonstrated this in the lab, we've demonstrated it in the um, with a pilot plant, and now we're doing a feasibility study to be able to do a full 8 million ton per year plant to bring our material from 66 to 69%. So that's not incremental tons, but it's taking eight of our 15 million tons and upgrading them from 66 to 69. In today's market, we're seeing margins of an extra 20 US dollar per ton for uh, this higher grade material compared to what we're getting today. But our view is that that's going to continue expanding in the future. Right. So that, that, that's, that, that's the optimal way of, of maximizing your returns. Okay. So phase two happens. Come, come April, you start producing. What's the, what's the ramp up period? Cause you talk about doubling production. Is that going to happen over a six months, 12 month period? Yeah, we've, we've uh, penciled in about six months um, okay. in, in our feasibility study. So, okay, fine. And then, then what happens? So essentially, when, when we look at Champion, I think we've got three different um, growth uh, sort of trajectories. One is our capital return strategy. So uh, our shareholders have been patient supporting us for, for quite a while. We've always said that once phase two is up and running, uh, we want to start redistributing capital to our shareholders. 
We actually did this a bit quicker than uh, initially thought because we've just bought back all of the preferred uh, equity that uh, the Caisse de Depot, the Quebec Pension Fund had in Champion. So since we last spoke, uh, we bought back that $185 million um, preferred equity from the case. So that was the first step in our capital return strategy. And then the next step, uh, well, we're looking into a potential dividend uh, policy uh, to be able to implement, um, I'd say sooner than later. So that would be one stream of capital uh, that would be allocated to be returned to the uh, shareholders. So then there's the, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what, what, what do you think I need to believe as a potential investor walking into this thing? Because obviously, if, if I look at the, the, the that preferred equity um, buyback, 185 million, but it didn't t- do too much to the share price, right? Um, and you're talking about offering dividends. I mean, what, what sort of quantum, what sort of level, what percentage are we giving back? Well, that's being evaluated right now. And uh, we're, we're going to go to our board uh, fairly shortly on that. But uh, and we'll be able to come back to the market to discuss. But I, I think you still have to see Champion as a growth uh, story. So we're going to give back a portion of capital towards uh, to our shareholders. But we also want to keep uh, growing because we've got significant uh, resources in the right space. And we want to increase the value of our product as well. So everything that is more... Uh, the flotation plant that we're looking at, uh, we're, we're talking about a capex in the order of magnitude of 300 million US. That would allow us to have 8 million tons at a significant premium. So the, those are the kind of pro, uh, capex projects that we would like to tackle on our own. But when you look at all of our resources, when we uh, started the conversation, we talked about having 10 times the amount of resources than what we have at Bloom Lake. We're looking at larger projects to be able to bring those tons into production. These are the kind of projects that we would like to do with strategic partners. So as the demand grows for this material, there's going to be steel manufacturers that are going to want to secure this material. So we'd like to do those projects uh, in partnership with them. Okay. So um, you still think you're a growth story. I think obviously the delivery of phase two will be a significant step towards that. That should be a moment where hopefully share price starts to appreciate. That's how I make money, right? If you're going to give me a dividend, uh, if it's low single digits, then it's like, I might as well go invest in the coal, coal companies, quite frankly, who are doing high single digit, you know, low double digit numbers for dividends. But I want to buy into a growth company like yours, which says, hey, we're going to double our throughput, 15 million tons per annum. That's significant. And we've got projects beyond that. Beyond that. So why... Why give money back to shareholders now? Why not just advance those um, other projects past phase two, you know, the, the CAMI, et cetera, and, and, and try and expand your total um, you know, production size? That's going to give me much more talk, isn't it, than, than dividends? Yeah, when you look at the kind of cash flows that we'll be making once we have phase one and phase two in operations versus where we see the iron ore price going, we believe strongly that we can do both. We can give back a portion of the capital to our shareholders and we can continue that growth trajectory to make sure that we create value through the share price as well. Okay, well, I, I guess once you give guidance on, on dividends, will that be presumably in, in Q1 at some point, will it? That's gonna be pretty soon, yeah. But uh, not the side of uh, the new year? Correct. Okay, awesome. I mean, actually, we're talking, we're talking about you know um, carbon footprints, et cetera. What are some of the initiatives that you're taking internally to reduce your own uh, carbon footprint? So when we look at the uh, at Bloom Lake, uh, when we first bought the project, yeah, you got to remember that the Quebec government uh, holds close to 9% of our shares. So we've been, not only because of our own values, but we've been aligned with the government since the acquisition of Bloom Lake to reduce our CO2 emissions. 
We've invested significantly in 2016, 17, and 18. And today we've already reduced by 40% our CO2 emissions. That's why we position ourselves as one of the lowest CO2 emissions um, iron ore in the world. Uh, we benefit from high grade um, iron ore. We benefit from uh, clean power. So Quebec's grid is about 99% hydroelectric power. So that allows us today to have 70% of the energy used at Bloom Lake to be able uh, to use that in hydroelectric power. Now, the next step for us, there, there's small projects that we can do to continue decarbonizing at Bloom Lake. The major gain for us is going to be working with the OEMs when we find that right solution for the mining trucks. That's where we currently use or emit most of our CO2 emissions. And the good thing is that we're aligned with pretty much every mine around the world to find a solution to the, uh, to the mining trucks. So. Okay, and with regards to the future, um, sorry to come back to that. I kind of I segued away from it too quickly. Which is, what do you think the potential is? You talk ten times, ten, ten times what precisely? The um, on what potential? Sorry. Well, you you, you said that we've we've got potential to grow. We're still a growth story here, and we think we've got you know ten times pot more potential. Oh, okay, yeah, sorry. yeah. So, what do you what do you precisely mean by that? And, and what does that so look what like? We did uh, over the past few years, if we, we acquired a, a few smaller companies that had significant resources of iron ore in the ground. So if you look at Bloom Lake being our sort of epicenter and you trace a 60 kilometer sort of um, uh, radius around us, we hold uh, close to about 8 billion tons of high grade resources in the ground. And Bloom Lake, our current reserves, is about 800 million tons. So that's why we say we've got about 10 times the amount of resources in the ground around our project that we own 100%. So it's not joint ventures, we're not, it's not earn-ins. This is uh, all resources that we own 100% uh, with Champion. Right, and, so, and this, this is a 43101 standard resource? There's some that are 43101, like we just acquired uh, the CAMI project uh, this year that used to be uh, owned by a company called Alderon. They were actually, they were permitted and they were going forward with their, um, with their project. That's 1.7 billion tons, just a few kilometers away from Bloom Lake. So some of our resources are uh, 43101, like our Fire Lake um, project that is also 43101. Others have PEAs or uh, sort of pre-feasibility uh, studies done on them. So that that's fantastic, right? And you it sounds like you could potentially have be able to talk about a big program of expansion in terms of the you know the, the volume that you're producing. But what's what's the growth beyond that? Is it, do you move downstream? Do people downstream move upstream to to you? Um, do you think there's going to be some consolidation um, in the in the space? And 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 ultimately, quite frankly, as a, you know, from shareholder, what's your end game? Yeah, for, for us, uh, we're a mining company. Uh, that's our expertise. Uh, can we uh, do flotation and upgrade the, the, the product that we produce? Definitely. Could we potentially pelletize that in the future? Uh, definitely. But going beyond that, I think would be done more in partnerships because there's a, there's a different expertise between um, mining iron ore and being able to actually get into the steel manufacturing uh, business. So we feel that the our, our shareholders... Uh, we'll get more value by us getting the mining right, uh, continuing on our path of having great operational results and uh, also great CapEx results in the delivery of our projects, and then continue bring, bringing projects online in partnership with the right, uh, the right steel makers. Okay, okay. That's interesting. 
So no no blending. You're gonna opt. Okay, okay, understood. Um, right, and um, just just in, just in, just in terms of um, again the the the, the Phase two, um, you've talked about two new economic studies which are on the way as well. Um, again, time, you know, how, how do they roll out? What's the timing of those? Clearly, you've got the money to do it. So, so what, what do we need to know? Yeah, so when we look at our feasibility studies that we're doing right now, one is to be able to uh, get by June of next year the full feasibility study of the flotation plant. So that's that 8 million ton per year plant that could bring our material to 69% iron ore. So pure DR feed material. Then we're also doing a feasibility study to, um, to determine what is the capex to bring CAMI online. So CAMI is that project we just discussed, a few kilometers away from Bloom Lake, used to be owned by Alderaan. They were permitted. They were going towards building a new 8 million ton per year plant. So we're delivering the feasibility study for that potential by end of next calendar year. Okay, interesting, interesting. And and, and um, in terms of any other any other kind of studies that you, you feel you need to do or any other, other optimization work, um, is it all done and dusted now? We're we just really in production mode. Yeah, we don't we don't really feel that we can ever be done and dusted. So the big advantage at Bloom Lake is when we talk about that green power that's readily available, it allows us to imagine other potentials at the site. Uh, one of the elements that we want to be able to do is to debottleneck our current plants. We feel we could do that at an accretive price to eventually be able to bring Bloom Lake at 18 million tons instead of the 15. So that's an extra uh, 3 million tons that could potentially be done without building a new plant, just by doing some modifications in our current operations. So that's the kind of project that we're currently looking at. And the, the, the other one that could be a, a very interesting and accretive is the fact that when you go back in history of Bloom Lake, uh, the previous owner had developed a resource base that had about 1.6 billion tons at Bloom Lake. We chopped that in half because we wanted to make sure that we were starting up the project in a very conservative way, keeping our operating costs as low as possible. But we could reconvert some of those uh, X resources to be able to imagine a phase three directly at Bloom Lake. So that could be a new 8 million ton per year concentrator directly at Bloom Lake with a new mine plan to be able to uh, to process up to 24 million tons at Bloom Lake. So it's interesting one. Actually, we've seen a few stories in the market recently about where feasibility studies and expenditure don't quite uh, match up. You've obviously uh, are ahead of expectation, or, or, or you set a, set yourself a timeline that you felt comfortable with, and and are meeting that next April, hopefully. Are any were there any sort of bumps along the road? Any learnings um, outside of you know feasibility studies? Because sometimes things don't always go according to plan, do they? Yeah, I don't think I had any white in my beard when the project started. So there's been many bumps uh, along the along the road. But uh, realistically, I think what's important is to have the right teams and the right partners. And we've managed to work through those. We were very innovative. There was some elements that we had to sort of reorient what we wanted to do, change a little bit the um, the uh, purchasing stream to make sure that the material actually gets to Bloom Lake. But the good thing is that I think we've created a very good uh, relationship with our with our partners. And uh, they've always delivered uh, when we wanted to do those changes. So that allows us during a pandemic, during one of the most difficult times to get material in and out of Canada, well, we managed to deliver a project three months ahead of schedule. I wouldn't feel too bad, Michael. I interviewed one guy last year who'd been 25, 25 years trying to get his project up and running. Uh, you, you, 
less, less than less than two is uh, not too shabby. Hey, um, just with regards to all this money that you will hopefully be throwing off, additional money that you'll be throwing off in phase two kind of ramps up to you know optimum uh, output. Is clear. There's a lot of cash, and yeah, doing uh, you know. Ec- Equity, preferred equity buybacks and dishing out dividends at whatever level you decide is, is good, but there's going to be a lot of cash. It, it feels like, you know, if prices stay in, in or around where they are today, uh, or, or even go higher. M&A is that there's a lot of kind of, um, stranded projects out there. Um, is, is that part of the consideration of you? Cause your project is big already. Could you stomach or countenance uh, acquisitions? It's a possibility. I mean, when we when we purchased uh, Bloom Lake, uh, it was at a very uh, proper time to be able to do that transaction. We acquired silently a lot of resources around the actual project. When we look at larger potential M&As, for us, it would have to make sense. The value would have to be there for our shareholders. The big advantage is that we, we own over 10% of the company, so we don't need to acquire for ego. It's got to make sense. We, it needs to be accretive, and we need to make sure that we have the right project. Would we uh, stay only in iron ore? Uh, our view right now is that, uh, obviously, with our name, Champion Iron, that's the strategy we want to take. We want to stay in the high-grade iron ore space. And for now, we're focused Canada. So could that evolve in the future? Maybe. But we want to make sure that we can walk before we run. And uh, to say today we could do an acquisition in another uh, country or uh, I, I don't think we would be able to do that at the same time as we're growing the company. But at the same time, if the right opportunity comes, uh, we'll obviously be ready to, uh, to benefit from it. Can I talk about this kind of this? Um there was kind of a little bit of uh, yeah, well, there's a couple of whistleblowing um, whistleblowers um, out of two funds uh, in, in the states, and they're kind of reporting to the SEC, you know, greenwashing of, of funds and stuff. Do you do you feel that because there's always been low grade, high grade iron ore, right? But this new narrative in the in the, in the marketplace, you know, and people trying to take advantage of it. Do you, do you feel that things have significantly? Change, then we do need to have this conversation because COP26 says we should, or that the, the battery revolution says we should. Um, do you, do you think that the, your industry, you talked about it being transition, not just you guys, the industry here. Do you think this transition will be taken up by, um, all of the players? You know, there's whatever, eight and a half thousand companies involved in iron, iron ore in one way or other globally. So, or is it, is it just putting, putting, um, lip service to that that narrative because that's what the narrative is these days. What, what are you seeing which encourages you to believe that people are serious, that your industry is serious about this? Yeah, when you look at the amount of capex that's available for reducing emissions in steel, I think it shows that it's not just talk. I mean, we were speaking to just one trader out of Japan. Internally, they created a $3 billion fund to accompany projects that have steel decarbonization uh, elements. So, and this is just one trader out of Japan. So you can see that there's a lot of potential uh, capex that's actually been put there. Recently, you've seen a lot of uh, announcements, ArcelorMittal uh, building some electric arc furnaces to replace blast furnaces. We've seen the, the same in Canada. Canada has put a significant subsidy for one of the, uh, the blast furnaces to convert into uh, an electric arc furnace. I mean, you're talking about roughly $400 million subsidy. So I think there's a significant amount of push that is being done and it's not just talk. Uh, There's obviously more talk now. 
as we get closer to 2030, closer to these targets that most people set, I think that's where you're going to see a, a, a much bigger push as well. So today we see it a little bit. Come 2025, I have a feeling that that that's very close to the 2030 mark, and people are going to have to sanction projects or do different uh, different elements to to achieve those targets. And and, and just and just again for for this for shareholder is you're saying that companies like you who genuine about it real about it, you know they, they they really believe it and, and and can and can deliver it there's some kind of premium for you guys versus the companies that don't and whether that's sort of driven by tar- tar- carbon tariffs or carbon credits or w- whatever incentives that governments put in the way in terms of um you know, um, uh, tr- you know, transporting of your your products across borders. You think that you can benefit from that by by setting yourselves up today? Yeah, definitely. I mean, just today, we actually receive carbon credits. We're one of the only mining companies I know that receives carbon credits because we've invested so much to make sure that we have the lowest CO two intensity per ton of iron ore. Then, when you look at um, sort of regulations that are coming into Europe, they're actually starting to talk about. Uh, you're, you're going to have to pay a tax for the embedded uh, CO2 emissions in the raw material that you import. So as these uh, elements start to unfold, well, because we've got that big advantage of having green power for most of our operations, well, that allows us not to be taxed further. So we're always going to have that benefit uh, compared to higher CO2 intensity projects. So do we get a big premium for this today? Uh, well, you've seen the premium for the high-grade iron ore already increase significantly, but we do feel that there's a lot of room for that to grow. So being in this niche product is, is what we believe is the most accretive for, uh, for the future. It'll be interesting to see, because I think if you look at the nickel sector, they, they, they've kind of um, innovated with, the, with regards to things like sequestration. And they're starting to you know, l- look at things differently. And I don't know how much of that is real and how much of it is you know repackaging of what was already the, the case and mm. be interesting to see what how your industry starts to embrace this and and uh, start to take it take it seriously um as you guys have so let uh, david appreciate your time today i don't wanna, don't want to take up too much of your time um but stay in touch let us know how you get on with some of these developments and obviously as you work towards april it'd be great to see you um you know before before then uh, or, or maybe even then for the great announcement itself. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime, Matthew.